Please open your Bibles to Luke 20, 20 through 26. The passage may be found in your Pew Bibles on page 880. I will be reading from this English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, Show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have. They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able, in the presence of the to the pe- of the people to catch him and what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's join our hearts together again in prayer. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom of our Lord Jesus. Uh, as he uh, spoke to uh, these uh, flatterers who tried to deceive him. Lord, I ask that um, that uh, you would speak as boldly and as clearly to us this morning as you did to the gathered crowds there during uh, the Passion Week. We ask in his name. Amen. So our text this morning uh, includes one of the great sound bites in all of world history. When Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Christian and non-Christian historians universally say that this sentence by Jesus is the single most influential political statement ever made. It has been decisive in shaping Western civilization. In fact, I don't think it an overstatement to say that the freedoms that we enjoy today as citizens would never have materialized without Jesus limiting the range of the power possessed by the ruling powers here in this verse. In our current political climate, I think it is important to make significant comments on the church's relationship to the state in light of Jesus' statement, and by consequence, uh, to say a few things about the church's responsibilities in regard to politics. Before we get to that discussion, however, we need to look at our passage within the immediate context of our passage. Jesus did not make this statement in a, vac- in a vacuum. He said this while actually being engaged in a life and death confrontation. 
Uh, I'm not very good at speaking or thinking while on my feet. That's why I write out my sermons word for word. Um, I stand in awe of how our Lord Jesus is able to stand firm and to see through the deceitfulness and treachery of his adversaries while at the same time turning their arguments against them. Jesus is doing this not privately in a private gathering with these people, but he's doing this in front of the thousands that had gathered to hear him teaching in the temple. Uh, You will remember uh, that Jesus had thoroughly embarrassed the religious elite and that they were seething. So they tried to then send in some lackeys that uh, maybe no one would know. Certainly Jesus would not know. And these lackeys were uh, to pretend to be sincere followers of Jesus. So they tried to butter him up so they could catch Jesus off guard in order that they might trip him up. Verses 19 through 21. Uh, Which I ended up being on the wrong page. All right, the scribes and the fair and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Now before I move on, I do want to give a practical warning to our young people. Uh, Advertisers are very crafty in trying to separate you from your money. There are people who have degrees in marketing, even PhDs in marketing, uh, who devote their life to manipulating your emotions and your actions in order to make you eager to part way with your money for their product. And every little detail in advertising is very carefully crafted to influence you to this end. And there are many in our society who use those same marketing strategies and advertising techniques to influence your moral decisions and your uh, worldview outlook. And I'm not just talking about commercials, movies, sitcoms, social media, even school curriculums are designed uh, in many cases to manipulate and influence you in ways that you might not easily perceive. So, young people, open your eyes. Think for yourself. Consider um, what is being presented before you. Don't be manipulated. Sadly, there are many who make their ultimate commitments in life based on a manipulated desire to be part of a crowd or to avoid some imagined peer pressure. Don't build your life 
on a foundation that is built by some marketing strategy. And I'm not saying in every case that this is happening, but I'm saying it is widespread, and you need to be aware of it. In fact, that's why my preaching, I strive to be very plain and straightforward. I don't want you to be manipulated by me or anyone else. I stick very closely to the Bible in my preaching because I want you to be able to check out what I'm saying, whether it's according to the Word of God or not. I want to encourage you to think about what God's Word says to you about God, what it says to you about salvation, what it says to you about you, what it says to you about our world. And the lackeys that were sent by the religious authorities, they weren't as slick as the, um, as the modern advertisers. They tried to, to manipulate Jesus through flattery, and Jesus saw right through them. Again, I'll read verse 21 and continue to verse 23. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. And so here's their question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them. And so we'll wait for a few moments before we see his answer. So the question was posed to Jesus, and it was posed in such a way as to discredit Jesus by catching him on the horns of a dilemma. Jesus had caught them on the horns of a dilemma earlier in the chapter, and they are trying to return the favor. So to understand the the dilemma, let's understand a little bit about the historical background. Rome had instituted an annual tax on every adult male in addition to the other taxes that were collected. And this particular tax was uh, a set amount, um, and it was rather minimal, but it could only be paid with uh, using a Roman coin named a denarii. It amounted to about a day's wage, so it wasn't, wasn't overburdening. The idea um, of a tax being paid to a foreign power was offensive. Even though it was a small tax, it was offensive uh, to the Jews of Jesus' day. And the Jews, as Jesus is preaching, as he had entered into the uh, city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, you know, the, the, the crowds were whipped into a fevered, uh, pitch as Jesus was teaching them, and they were expecting that Jesus was going to finally deliver the Jews from under the thumb, uh, under the thumb of Rome. And so the, um, the religious leaders reasoned that if Jesus said that they should pay the tax, then Jesus would lose the support of the people. But if Jesus said that they should not uh, pay the tax, then the religious leaders would run as fast as they could to the Roman authorities, who would then arrest them for fomenting rebellion. They thought that they had the perfect gotcha question for Jesus. But it's at this very point 
that Jesus gave his famous answer after asking them to produce a coin for him to examine. So verses 24 through 26, Jesus said, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Now we have Roman uh, denarii, or denarius coins from this period. And on one side of the coin is an image of Tiberius Caesar. And there's an inscription on the coin that says, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So Jesus, holding this coin, pointing to the image of Caesar, he said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But he didn't stop there. He went on to add, give to God the things that are God's. What things belong to God? Everything belongs to God. You belong to God. Romans 13 verse 1 says that there is no governing um, authority that exists apart from God's will, whether it be Caesar or our own nation's ruling class. Jesus is saying here, give to God what is God's. He's saying that Caesar also belongs under God's authority. He only exists as a ruler, only has authority because God has given him that authority. Not only do governing authorities belong to God, all things belong to him, including you including your family, including your bank accounts, including your aspirations and desires. Whose image is imprinted upon you? You you were created in his image. You belong to God. Even if you don't accept his authority over your life, even if you don't, in, don't believe in his existence, you belong to God. Have you given yourself to your creator? That's the whole reason that, Lord, that our Lord Jesus came here to earth, to reconcile you to God. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He rose from the dead for our justification. He ascended into heaven in order that we might give ourselves to him in faith and trust, so that we might belong to God. Have you given yourself to him? If you haven't answered that question, that is the most important question that could be before you today, because it is a question of eternity. It is a question of being reconciled to your Creator. Don't leave here this morning without that question being answered. And why would you not give yourself to God? While we were still sinners, He loved us. 
and gave himself up for us. Why would you not give yourself to him? I'm going to transition now and give the last half of this sermon to thinking about the church's relationship to the state in light of Jesus' statement there in verse 25. And by consequence, we'll also look at the church's responsibilities in regard to politics. And I'll try and be brief, because I imagine this discussion could be a real snoozer. I've already written this discussion out. I know it's a snoozer, uh, but it's a subject that I really enjoy. So I'll try and press forward. First of all, we see that the governing authority is limited. Caesar believed his authority was all-encompassing, that it was total. Throughout world history, nearly all governing authorities have felt the same way. Uh, This is why Jesus' statement in verses 25 uh, has proven to be so influential. Jesus is saying, give this little pretend God his shiny coin, but remember that God has authority over all. Caesar only has authority as God has allowed it. God is sovereign over everything, including government, including every government. The institution of human government exists only in response to the fall of humanity into sin. The the God-given purpose of government is to maintain law and order in human society so that human society might be ordered enough and there might be justice in order that um, humanity might pursue its God-given responsibilities to be fruitful and multiply and to exercise dominion over creation. We pay taxes to maintain the government in order that stability and justice might exist in our society. And that's a good thing, even though no one likes taxes. Uh, The government is to maintain national defenses, a military to protect us, uh, and to provide services that are essential to our common good. Well, what are services that are that are essential to our common good. Well, we might have some differences about that. Um, I think that only those things which are essential but do not encroach upon the God-given callings that God has placed upon each um, uh, sphere of society. Uh, So, for instance, when the government encroaches upon the family to indoctrinate children, the family objects and objects strenuously because the government has gone beyond its God-given calling by invading God's God-given calling to the family. And this discussion is called sphere sovereignty. Each sphere is sovereign in its own right as God has, has created these... Um, these spheres of society. So the family is a sphere of society. The individual is a sphere of society. Uh, The community, the sciences, the arts, the um, government 
and the church all have their God-given mandates to fulfill. All work together for the glory of God and the realization of God's purposes that are um, written in God's Word. But because of sin, some responsibilities are ignored, some responsibilities are infringed upon by the other spheres of society. Each sphere, if you want to think of it like this, is its own little circle, so to speak, since we're talking about spheres. And each one has its God-given lane that they are to stay in um, and not stray from, but at the same time are to work for the benefit of the other spheres. And as each sphere of society is doing as God uh, expects and commands that they do, society works best. And, um, and uh, God is glorified. So then, we've got a sphere of government. We have the sphere of the church. How do they relate to each other? Well, I think this will be a little more clear as we examine the differences. The church does not owe its existence to the state. The church, uh, the, the source of the church is Jesus Christ. He's the king of the church. And the church is populated not by simply people giving birth in a natural way as the state is populated, but rather the church is populated by God's grace as people are born supernaturally, regenerated, born again. Um, and the church is called to deal with uh, spiritual matters, such as building up the body of Christ, to uh, labor for the propagation of the faith and for the evangelization of the world. The power of the church is wholly spiritual and may not exercise its power by the exercise of force or making laws that bind the conscience since the Holy Scriptures are the only rule of faith and practice. Someone doesn't believe an article of faith. Can't throw them in the church jail, for instance. That's, we don't have the power of the sword. That is for the state. So the state, on the other hand, as I mentioned earlier, became necessary after the fall because sin brings sadness, sin brings disorder. The state was ordained by God to um, maintain the law and order and justice in, in, in the society. Both the state and the church have a common purpose to curb sin in society but at the same time, the state should not adopt any state religion. Uh, but rather, their function in relation to the state or to the church is to remove hindrances that would keep the church from pursuing its God-given purpose. The church, on the other hand, should give the state the respect and the conditional obedience needed for both to thrive. And I say conditional obedience because there are times where we must disobey the government. Uh, but I want to read two passages, and we are very close to being finished here. I want to read Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person 
the Apostle Paul says, and I think he's reflecting on what Jesus says here in our passage in um, in Luke chapter 20, but G- Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the wo- of the one who is in authority, then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason you also... Uh, pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to the one respect is owed, honor to him whom honor is owed. And then in First Peter, uh, chapter two, thirteen through 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we are to, we owe the um, the government, uh, our obedience, our taxes, our honor, but it's conditional obedience because there are those times where we must obey or disobey. We obey God by disobeying the governing authorities. Acts chapter 4, 18 through 20. So they called them, uh, called Peter and John, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so uh, Peter and John obeyed God by disobeying the ruling authorities. We are bound to obey God regardless uh, of what we are told or what laws are made. And if, though, if obedience to God runs afoul of the law, God be praised and God be obeyed. Whatever, um, whatever price that means that we should pay. And this brings us to the issue of the church's res- responsibility in regard to politics, and then we'll be done. Some Christians believe that Jesus is saying in our text that some things belong to the civic realm, such as paying taxes, voting, and the like, while other things belong to the church realm, like attending on Sunday, paying your tithe, praying. This view says that there are two separate, distinct realms that never meet, 
or have any bearing on one another. But Jesus here is teaching, rather, that everything belongs to God. And each sphere, this word realm, uh, smacks of existentialism, so I don't like it, of this two-tiered reality uh, that is unbiblical. So each sphere has God-given tasks because everything belongs to God. You as an individual have God-given tasks. You as a family have God-given tasks. You as a spouse have God-given tasks towards your spouse, on and on and on. You as an employee, those of you who work in the scientific field, you have God-given tasks, and we could go on and on. Um, Everything belongs to God. We are to conditionally obey the laws of our land. We are to pay our taxes. We are to be respectful of governing authorities. We are to pray for governing authorities because everything belongs to God. These two things are not separate. They all are under God. And the church is called by God to influence the state, not by staging a coup, not by becoming politically organized. In fact, I think that that would be sinful. But by affecting the consciences of the citizens and affecting the consciences of the governing officials through the preaching of the gospel, through the evangelization of the population, and by the teaching of the principles of godliness as it relates to every area of life. And so the church's influence on the state is indirect. I must emphasize that we are to proclaim the principles of the word of God as it relates and applies to all the sovereign spheres in every relationship in life, uh, including the political sphere. We are not to sit down and sit in a corner, as we might be told in our society that we as Christians must do. We must proclaim what godly governance looks like. We must call out sinful governance. We must resist ungodly influences that are pressed down upon us by the government. We're to say uh, God calls the family to do this, and we are to endeavor to make our family uh, to be in obedience to what God calls us to do and resist the influences that are pressed down upon us that would tell us to do otherwise. Our Reformed forefathers resisted the kings of the 16th and 17th centuries who tried to set themselves as the heads of the church. The French Huguenots resisted the French monarchy. The Dutch Reformed resisted the Spanish monarchy when they tried to force Roman Catholicism upon uh, the Reformers. The English Puritans and the Scottish Covenanters resisted the Stuart kings when they tried to force the church to accept the king of England as the head of the church. And they would outlaw anyone who would not um, go to the, the Church of England, the Anglican church, for their ordination because they were resisting these calls to acknowledge the king as the head of the church. Uh, John Bunyan 
uh, was sent to jail for years and years because he would not um, submit to being an Anglican pastor because he would not submit to the king being the head of the church. And God got the last laugh in that one. Bunyan sitting up in jail writing the the greatest um, allegory on the Christian life that's ever been written. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, I would urge uh, you to do that. It is a fun and very spiritually edifying read. They resisted to the point of persecution. And as the long tentacles of secular government have been spreading into all the sovereign spheres, encroaching upon everything, including the church, we must be ready to stand firm for godliness and our God-given rights that have, thankfully, because of the Puritans standing firm against the Stuart monarchs, um, principles... Uh, became important that were included and enshrined in our Bill of Rights. And I think the greatest issue right now that we must contend for is the irrationalism that is being foisted upon our society in the form of political correctness and woke ideology. We must resist this irrationalism, standing fearlessly on God's Word, and we cannot allow ourselves to be cowed into silence. We belong to God. All things belong to God, even the governing authorities, even the tyrants that have existed through, society, through history. And as God's people, our obedience to God, sometimes, and we don't relish this, but sometimes it ex- extends even to resisting ungodly government while seeking to honor those whom are governing. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, um, I ask that you would make us stout-hearted in our faith and our trust in our Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us the mind of Christ uh, in regard to how we are to relate uh, to Uh, the political sphere. Lord, I ask that you would help us not to get carried away by politics and make it an idol. Lord, help us not to trust in politics because it does not save us only. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us keep our eyes fixed on him, Lord, even while our circumstances here on earth might clamor for our attention. We ask in his name, amen.